I heard a whole lot of speed limit signs out there. We'll do a talk on that in a couple of weeks. Um, Get some true life testimonies, that type of thing. Um, Let me just give you a couple of quick announcements. One is about the building. We had about, at one point, we had about 16 people out there yesterday. I just want to say thank you, thank you, thank you for coming and helping. Um, Tremendous amount of work we got done. Yesterday, the, um, the coordinator for the Volunteer Christian Builders came and did a walkthrough, and we have to get all of our electricity finished, and we've got to get some of the plumbing finished so that they can just walk in and start sheetrocking. And uh, right now, they're planning on bringing somewhere 18 to 20. He's hoping to get a few more, but he's counting on 18 to 20 people that will be here a week from tomorrow, which is uh, the 25th. And they have invited any of you, and and I know work schedules are crazy, but if you have time off and you want to come work, they want you to come and work with them, and they're a blast. If you've never been on a mission trip or anything like that, uh, these people are just a a blast to to be around. You'll have a great time. We'll get a lot of stuff done and uh, make some progress on the church. So if you want to come, uh, you can do that. We wanted to show you just a couple of pictures, kind of what's going on. Some of you have been out there and some of you haven't. Here's the first picture. This is actually from where our stage is going to be in the worship center, so that's looking back. If you know where the skating rink is, the very back wall is where our stage will be, where our worship center will be. So if you're looking back, and kind of just for a frame of reference, you can see the door frame there. That's a big double door that will come in the back of our worship area. Um, This is what we're calling our living room, where the scaffolding is there. That's a men's and women's restroom. Um, this is kind of a fellowship area. When you come in the building, when we're in the new building, you'll actually walk in. This is the first room that you'll see and all of our kitchens over there in that blank spot. We'll have coffee and all that stuff. That's where you'll be entering the building. We're going to cut a new um, side entrance this week. We're going to be cutting that out. Uh, here's another one. This is one of our children's rooms. Uh, each of our children's rooms will have their own restroom and all of our children's workers were like, yes. So they don't have to walk around, you know, go find the restroom. They've all got access from their rooms. They never have to leave their room to, to take the kids to the restrooms. We've started sheetrocking in one of our classrooms there. So uh, the entrance now will not be an entrance anymore in the, uh, in the skating rink. That's just going to be a fire exit. That will actually be in our nursery area. And uh, we'll have a, a new double entrance where you can drive in and you can, it'll be covered drop-off, so if it's raining, inclement weather, which I, I want to commend you because you are some of the toughest churchgoers I've ever seen. <clears throat> I'm not kidding. In, in my tradition that I grew up in, and I, I, was, I was a youth minister for 19 years, anytime it was cold or wet, you could cut our attendance in half. And, and I felt sorry for the pastor of that church because he'd always think he would just get up and have a bad attitude on the day that there was bad weather because nobody was coming to church that day. And some of that still is in my spirit. And so if it's going to be bad, I, when I go to bed on Saturday night, I'll pray and I'll say, Oh, God, wake our people up. <laughs> Don't let them sleep in. Do something, you know. Wipe out all excuses. And you guys amaze me over and over that rain doesn't bother you and stairs don't bother you. And uh, so when we get in the new building, you've got even less excuse for not coming because we'll have covered drop-off, and everybody's excited about that. Now, with the volunteer Christian builders, what we have to do as a church is we've got to provide them lunch and supper. So what we've decided to make this easy is we're going to um, just get a, a sandwich tray 
from Subs and Dogs every day for lunch, a different sandwich tray. We're just going to pay for that. It's not that much to, to feed that many people. Then at night, the church is going to purchase the meat, and uh, Jamie Stevens is coordinating that. She's not going to cook all of it necessarily, but she's coordinating all of that. And then what we're asking is all of the small groups to bring vegetables and dessert, and we will assign your small group a night. If you're not in a small group, you want to help, See, either me or Alex or, or Jamie, just let us know when you would be available because we provide them a, a hot meal in the evening for five nights, Monday through Friday. They will start arriving this Saturday. Some of them may be at church with us uh, this next Sunday. And then they will leave on either Friday night, the 29th, or Saturday, um, the 1st. almost said the 30th, but this is leap year, February. <clears throat> All right. Small groups are meeting tonight. If you're not in a small group and you want to go to one, just let us know. We'll plug you in. Now, you shared the, the street signs that you struggle with. We're going to do a little pop quiz. I'm going to see, I'm going to test your street sign knowledge right now. All right? So I'm going to put one up, and, and you're going to have to tell me what this sign means. And we started with a real easy one. Here it is. What does that mean? Now, specifically, specifically, which direction is one way? That way. Now, you would think this matters, but if you've been anywhere in Palestine, you know that this doesn't always... I look both ways on one ways because I was in downtown Dallas with uh, Ryan and Mandy and Keith and Heather, and there were four lanes, and there were signs. These signs were everywhere. And there were four lanes of traffic with at least ten cars in each line, lane. And Ryan starts to turn to go this way. And all of us are in the back going, Oh dear God, we're going to die! <clears throat> he notices about the time we get hood to hood with the cars. Anyway, next sign. What does that mean? No left turn. Good. Next one. No trucks. Good. No walking. No people. Yeah, no people allowed. That's good. What does that mean? Stop them. Slippery when wet. Or, or, okay, okay, that's good. I have never in my life seen this next one. This is a street sign that you can buy. I was on, you know, there's all kinds of streetsigns.com, all those types of things. You can buy this next one. I've never seen it. Explain to me what this is. I have seen speed bumps. I have been over speed bumps. But I have never seen a speed hump in Montana. Okay, that explains everything. That's all I need to know. They're too close to Canada. Well, okay, that makes sense. Speed hump. Um, it's in Montana. There's no speed limit there. I remember that. I went on a mission trip to Montana. My dad's in the back of the van. I was driving, no speed limit, so I was driving 85, and they didn't have one of these. I wish they had. Now that explains it. Because when I look up after hitting the hump, my dad's face is on the top of the van. And the really sad thing is, about five miles later, I did it again. And at that time, Dad was 75, so to elevate a 75-year-old man to the roof of the van twice, it was not a pretty scene when we stopped. Um, okay, what is this? I'm thinking there's a seesaw in the road. What's up with this, man? All right, here's the last one. What does that mean? No Aggies! Thank you! That's what it means. No Aggies! All right, we need more of those. We just went to my, my nephew's wedding last weekend, and, and everybody in the party was Aggies. So they did the, the Aggie fight song, and Caleb and, and one niece and, and her husband were the only three doing the UT sign. 
I thought it was going to be a fight. No Aggies. Now, we're going to be talking about today how to, um, how to understand relationships and how to simplify relationships. And one of the things that we're specifically going to talk about is the fact that people actually give us signs. They, they, there are signs that you can read, and we're going to learn how to do that in just a minute. Before we do that, I want us just to stop a minute and I want us to pray. And let's, let's just ask God. The Bible says that wherever two or three are gathered in His name, that God will be in their midst. But a lot of times we miss Him. He's here, but we get caught up in our agenda. We get caught up in our uh, social whatever is going on. And we forget that the reason we're here is to meet the living God. So let's just stop and let's ask Him to make us aware of His presence and to speak specifically to our hearts. If that happens today, if whatever I'm saying speaks to your heart, then, then that's really a proof that there is a God more powerful than any of us because there's no way I could have known exactly what group was going to be here. So if God is speaking to you today, that's a proof that He's real. And, and maybe we ought to pay attention to what He has to say. Let's pray together. Father, if there's anybody that needs to slow down today, it's me. I feel like I've been moving at warp speed for about three months now. And you never designed us to, to move at that speed for an extended period of time. God, you've promised us that if we gather to worship you, that you'll visit us. So we know you're here. Help us not to miss you today. We know you don't shout and scream and, and make a scene. You speak, according to the Bible, in a still, small voice. And if we're ever going to hear that voice, we've got to slow down enough. We've got to slow our RPMs down so that we can hear from you. So, Father, calm our spirits. Help us to rest in you. Because, Jesus, you said your, your burden is easy. Your load is light. And if our lives are out of control, it's the choices we've made for our lives, not the choices you've made. Help us to get on your agenda today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Trail Ridge Road is one of the highest paved roads in the United States, and it is in Colorado. And uh, comedian Ken Davis writes that one of these uh, that that this road reaches 12,183 feet at its crest, and uh, it has a sign at the summit erected by some overachiever by the state of Colorado. The full text of the sign is "Hill." Okay, here's what, here's what Ken Davis says. They've also included a picture of a hill just in case you might mistake the next 15-mile luge ride as a large dip. Speaking of which, who decides the location of those signs? Usually it's only after peeling myself off the ceiling of the car that I see the dip sign. I feel strongly that a dip sign should be more of a warning than an acknowledgement. All these signs do is accurately describe the person who placed them there. Now, in theory, what is the purpose of road signs? 
warning you so that you can figure out what's going to happen up ahead. Well, today we're going to talk about how you can learn to read the signs others are giving you, are sending you. So that's the first thing on your listening guide. We're going to learn to read the signs that others are sending us. Wouldn't it be cool if if someone were to invent signs for people? Then you could come into work and around your boss's neck would be this sign that said, had huge fight with spouse. Caution. You know, that type of thing. Or when you go to tuck your child in at night and you are tired and you just want to get it over with as quickly as possible, there's this sign that says, growing up too fast. Slow down. Or um, (laughs) when you go out on a date with somebody that you don't know very well, there's this sign around their neck that says, severely and breathtakingly dysfunctional. Run for your life. I mean, wouldn't that be helpful? Because backing up will cause severe damage to your tires, you know. Or maybe it would just say dip, you know. That would be helpful if we had those signs. I had this class in college called Music Education in the Elementary Classroom. And what we had to do was we had to figure out how to teach music to kids at different developmental levels. And so what I thought would be really cool was if we had a class called Relation Relationship Education in the Classroom of Life. And I wish that we had to take a course kind of like we do in driver's ed. You have to take driver's ed and you have to take this test to show some minimum mastery of at least a basic set of skills before you get your license. I wish we had that. And then before you could start having relationships out on your own, you had to pass the class. That would be so cool. The misery we could avoid because, well, we'll get into that another time. Um... Because you don't just cause misery to you and whoever you're dating or married to or what. It's the whole family. It's like this little plague that infects everyone. Okay, and so if we actually had this, then one pastor said people could get pulled over by the relationship police for talking too fast or too long or too loud, for failure to come to a complete thoughtful stop before executing a proper confrontation, or for trying to merge when all the signs said road closed. Now, the signs that we're talking about, people actually give off signs, and it's called body language. And the reason we mess up so many times in our relationships is we are ignorant of this body language. So we're going to try to figure that out today. Um, We're in this whole series called Simplifying Your Life, and we realized we couldn't really talk about simplifying your life without at least a basic look at how to simplify relationships. Would you agree that most relationships that we get into are kind of complicated? Would you agree that we are the ones who make them complicated? All right, so we're going to try to figure out today um, how to read these signs. Every time that you come into contact with another human being, you either, um, you either come away feeling better <laughs> or you come away feeling worse. You're either more energized or you're drained. It's almost as if we have these emotional ATMs. And and you come across somebody and they either deposit into your life and make you feel more valued or they do these debits. Don't you hate to see all those debits with your little ATM card? They take an emotional debit away from you so you walk away from them feeling worse. And and the people that build up community and and pour value into your life, we call those glue people. They're the people that that make um, community stick. They're they're the ones who help us stick together. And... um, You've probably heard these people referred to as pillars of the community or pillars of the churches. But there are also people who drain our emotional energy. And and the the environment some of us grew up in, we called them deacons. Some of you catch that later. Um, 
There are some people, when they call you on the phone, you are excited to hear their voice. There are other people, you'll see their name on caller ID, and you can hear the sound of all your emotional energy being sucked out of the room. I'm not... Okay. Y'all are with me. There are certain people whose company you love, whose mind you love to pick... They can say, hey, I've got to go to the dump in Slocum. You want to come along? And honestly, there's there's nothing you would rather do than ride with them to the dump in Slocum. But there are people who who are boring and, and or maybe they're just annoying. They can offer to buy you the best dinner, have tickets to the best show in town. And you would honestly rather stay home and watch Jello Harden than go anywhere with them. Right? Okay, you're with me. I I just want to make sure we're on the same page. Relationships are not easy. They're work. And so um, we're going to look now at a Raymond clip. Everybody loves Raymond because everybody knows he's got relationships figured out, right? Everybody loves him, so he's got it figured out. In this clip, the first first clip is everybody's going to to the school to hear their kids read this story that, that they wrote. And then we're just going to skip to the second clip where Raymond and, and Deborah actually have to go in for a teacher's conference um, based on what they hear in this story. Check this out. So the lion got some cream for his chicken pot. How many more before Michael? Shh. Forty minutes already. Quiet. And his mommy put the cream on... And he felt better. The end. Thank you, Gracie. That was a wonderful and very imaginative story. And now we have Ian. Oh, crap. (laughs) Escape from Blue Planet. Finally, science fiction. The rocket ship landed on the Blue Planet that was filled with water. You don't think this is nice? You know, they wrote these all by themselves. No kidding. And the rocket got stuck, but the pilot had some extra gas. He's not the only one. So that is how they were able to escape from the blue planet. The end. Wonderful, Ian, and very exciting. Michael, it's your turn. Thank God. We go after this. The Angry Family. (laughs) The Daddy was mad at the Mommy. (laughs) The Mommy was mad at the Daddy. <laughs> Mommy and Daddy were very mad at the Grandpa. <laughs> the Grandma got mad at everybody. I did not. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> the grown-ups were always very loud. They hurt the kids' ears. The end. (laughs) 
Uh, Eileen, um, did Michael say anything to you? I mean, did he say anything specific about home? And remember, children lie. <laughs> Ray, we have nothing to hide. I don't know what he's so afraid of. I mean, because we're a normal family. Comparatively. <laughs> I mean, watch the news. <laughs> that was mine, the normal thing. She stole that from me. It's not your thing. We are normal. You know, we do have counselors. <laughs> Father Hubley is very good. No, no, that's the last thing that we need. Why do you say that? Because then everybody's talking about Look, it. what are you... Why do you have to be so close-minded? You see, this is the attitude. I'm not close-minded. Ugh, what are you doing right now? This is who you are. Why can't you just talk about things, huh? Talk! <laughs> you know, I have to say that you're actually exhibiting some of the very traits that seem to jump off the page in Michael's book. Who? Uh, you. <laughs> wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. First of all, it's not a book. It's pieces of construction paper. You sound a bit close, Martha. Hey. Eileen, you have no idea what I have to put up with. When I got married, I didn't just get a husband. I got a whole freak show that set up their tent right across the street. If they stayed there. But every day, every day, they'd dump a truckload of their insane family dreck into my lap. How would you like to sit through two people in their 60s fighting over who invented the lawn? The lawn! And then the brother. I live in an apartment. I don't even have a lawn. Raymond has a lawn. But you can't blame him when you see who the mother is. She has this kind of sick hold on the both of them. And the father's about as disgusting a creature as God has ever dropped on this planet. So now why do the kid write stories? I should be writing stories. My life is a gothic novel. And until you have lived in that house with all of them in there with you day after day, week after week, year after friggin' year, you are in no position to judge me. So they've figured it out, haven't they? They've got it all down. Oh, I love that show. <clears throat> well, since um, all of us have some type of freak show living in our family somewhere, um, we're going to look at the, what the Bible has to say about how we're supposed to handle relationships. The first passage I want to look at is in Mark chapter 3, verses 7 through 10. Jesus and his disciples went out to the lake followed by a huge crowd from all over Galilee, Judea, Jerusalem, Idumea, from east of the Jordan River, and even from as far away as Tyre and Sidon. Now, when you see all of those names of different cities, how big do you think the crowd is that's around Jesus? Massive amount of people. The news about His miracles had spread far and wide, and vast numbers of people came to see Him for themselves. Jesus instructed His disciples to bring around a boat and to have it ready in case He was crowded off the beach. There had been uh, many healings that day. As a result, many sick people were crowding around him, trying to touch him. All right, here's what we're going to learn from Jesus. The second thing on your listening guide. First thing is you've got to learn how to read the signs that others are sending you. The second thing to simplify your relationships is you've got to set appropriate boundaries. 
set appropriate boundaries. Now, the reason I highlighted this part of the passage is Jesus knew in advance what he would do when, if, the situation should arise and too many people were invading his space or too many people were ignoring his signs. Um, So he had his disciples locate a boat before all of this happened, before he needed it. And then when the crowd became overwhelming, he simply defined the time and space boundaries. He got in a boat, pushed off a little bit from shore, and he continued teaching. Here's the important thing. He did not allow the crowd to set his agenda. He did not allow others to set his agenda. You see, for the common person on the street, Jesus was one of those people that added value to your life. And so he always had a crowd around him. You add value to other people's lives, you will have crowds of people around you. And what I want to do is I want to consider two types of people that that are going to come into your life, and we've got to figure out how we're going to deal with these types of people. Um, I want you to look at this sign. What is this sign? Do you have that one? Okay, we'll describe it. There it is. (laughs) What does that sign mean? Have you ever ignored one of these? People today, yeah, thank you. We'll have confession at the end of the service. Um, now, here are, here's what's going on. People are all the time sending out this signal. Stop talking, stop advising, stop rambling, stop criticizing, stop gossiping, stop hogging the verbals, stop like, just stop it! Now, what is the most telling sign that someone's telling you to stop? It's their eyes. Now, some people will say it's a yawn. Years ago, I read a definition in Dear Abby of a yawn, and it says, it's an involuntary opening of the mouth when others wish you would shut yours. That's really good, but that's not the most telling sign. The eyes are the window to the soul, and if you will look into a person's eyes, you can very often see what's going on inside, whether there's peace, whether there's turmoil going on in their lives. You can look at their eyes. And so, when people stop looking at you, generally, they want you to stop talking. Now, you may have been guilty of running through nonverbal stop signs. I've done it. But, you know, some people just love to talk, or maybe they just love hearing themselves talk. Have you ever been around somebody who it seems like they took a verbal laxative and their words are just running out of control? Y'all are laughing because you've been there. But, you know, sometimes it's more than words. There are some people who like to be, who love to be around you more than you love to be around them. What did Jesus do when he was in that situation? Well, he got a boat. He, he refused to allow other people to invade his time and space boundaries. He got into a boat. He had already drawn those boundaries, and he knew where he was going to go, and he knew how he was going to protect those boundaries. So, without stretching this analogy too far, I've got to ask you a question. Do you have a boat? Do you have a predetermined set of guidelines, time and space boundaries that you lovingly and firmly communicate to others in your life who will invade your space if you don't let them. Uh, So the question is, where do you need to set those boundaries? Not those imposed on you by a boss or a friend or a job or anyone else, but those that you know, those boundaries you know would build up your relationship with God and with your spouse and with your family. Where are those? Who draws those? Unless you set the agenda for your life, unless you make it a priority, someone else will be glad to do it for you. So maybe it's time you not only observe the nonverbal stop signs 
that others are sending out, maybe it's time you established some nonverbal stop signs and set some limits in your own life. So when people invade us, we have got to have a predetermined plan that we're going to have time and space boundaries. That's how we're going to simplify. But, but there's another type of person that, um, that it doesn't matter what the boundaries are. There's another type that you're going to encounter, and that's when someone attacks you. What does this sign mean? Does that mean uh, just kind of hope there's no dog there? I remember one time going to a door and they didn't have one of these signs on there. And my mistake was walking, there was this big bush, you know, it's kind of an L shape, and I'm walking up to the door because we're doing this neighborhood survey, which is one of my favorite things in the world to do. We're doing this neighborhood survey and I walk up there and about the time I knock on the door, I notice this chain going around behind the bush and this stinking horse comes out. And I, he, but where he came out, he was blocking my exit. And my partner, who was much smarter than me, was standing back over here going, you're going to die. <laughs> and praise God, the, the owner came and called him off because he was, he was huge and he was mad that I was in his space. Beware of dog. If you've ever ignored one of these signs, then you've, you may have been bitten or you, at least you've been frightened that you were going to be bitten. Some folks just don't like us. Um, just the fact that you're in the vicinity, like a dog protecting his turf, these people will attack you. They'll go after you. The way you dress, um, where you live, the way you talk, the way you sing, where you go to church, or maybe the fact that you go to the same church they go to, they will attack you. Uh, or an infinite number of other things. There are reasons that they will look for to attack you. And so what we've got to do, yeah, you, I see you writing. I skipped that. You've got to work through conflict. And we're going to figure out how to work through that conflict. Um, so what do you do when you see these folks coming? How do you handle relationships which are in conflict? Now, I've read tons and tons of books on, on marriage counseling and relationship counseling, and here's kind of um, a synopsis of what these people say, how folks handle conflict in their lives. One of these four ways. The first one is the freeze-out. The freeze-out person, something's wrong. Everybody in the world knows there's something wrong, but nobody talks about it. You just ignore the problem and hope that by hope somehow it will go away. And this person represses stuff and it, and it gets bitter and it gets ugly because time does not heal all wounds. I don't know who said that. They should be shot and see if that wound heals. Um, time doesn't heal wounds. Time just makes them fester. And when they explode, it's nasty. And I see this a lot. There's a second type uh, or response to conflict and that's the shootout. This person gets ticked off and lets their verbal bullets fly, and when they're done, there are bodies laying everywhere. But by golly, I got it out in the open. And, and some of the other folks are afraid of the shoot-it-out people. There's another response conflict, which is the let me out. Where is the nearest exit? I'm running for the hills. I don't want to be confronted. I don't want to confront anyway, anyone else. Leave me alone. I will run away. Let me out. And then there is the lash out. And the lash out is, is only stops short of, of physical abuse. This is, this is someone who's just out of control. So you've got the freeze out, the shoot out, the let it out, and the lash out. Now, do you know what these types of responses have in common? Every one of those responses have, has in common. They do nothing 
to resolve the issue. In fact, in relationships that every one of us wants to simplify, if you have one of these responses, it complicates the relationship more. So there's another way, and you're not going to like it. (laughs) It's God's way, and and you're going to be tempted to try every other way possible And then when you come to the end of your rope, you're going to find out that God's way always works. It's been proven over and over and over again. So let's just stop some heartache, take the shortcut, and let's try it God's way. Here's here's where it is. There's a couple of times that Jesus talks, and, and we're going to look at what He has to say. Step one in this whole deal is go directly to the person with whom you have conflict. Go directly to the person with whom you have conflict. From the mouth of Jesus, Matthew 5, 23 and 24. This is how I want you to conduct yourself in these matters. If you, ever, if you enter a place of worship and, about to make an offering, you suddenly remember a grudge a friend has against you, abandon your offering, leave immediately, go to this friend and make things right. Then and only then come back and work things out with God. Conflict is such a big deal that Jesus says the one time when, you are, when it is excused absence from worship... <laughs> when it is okay to leave worship, is when you are there and you realize that someone has something against you. And I think it's kind of funny that Jesus said, leave your offering. Just leave that. You go take care of things, then come back and worship God. Now, here's another thing from Jesus. Matthew 18, 15. If one of my followers sins against you, go and point out what was wrong. But do it in, a private, do it in private just between the two of you. Now, a follower of Christ is called what? A Christian, all right? So Jesus is instructing Christians to go directly and privately to the one who has upset you. So if you're keeping score, Jesus says, if you know that someone is offended at you, you go to them. Then he says, if, if, um, uh, if someone offends you, you go to them. How many ways are there to be in conflict with somebody else? They offend you, you offend them. There's only two. <laughs> and the same response to both of those things is, you go to that person. You don't go through six friends and four acquaintances. You don't go and abuse the person. You don't go looking to um, attack the person. What you do is you go with the idea, I'm going to speak about the problem and reconcile to the person. And, And that's actually the second step here is be humble and seek to reconcile. Do not buy into the lie that it's easier to live in a broken relationship than it is to reconcile. The only way to simplify your life is to reconcile with this person. Ephesians 4.29 says, Do not use harmful words when talking. Use only helpful words, the kind that build up and provide what is needed, so that what you say will do good to those who hear you. This means you don't get to dump on them. You don't get to tell them what they've done wrong since the beginning of time. I conceived you and I had the worst pregnancy ever. You should be grateful. Not my fault. <laughs> you know, don't blame me for your hard break. You know what I'm saying? You can't bring all of those things up. You've got to look at the problem. Now, here's some helpful hints. When you go to someone, you need to start with affirmation. And what I mean by that is you need to tell them why you value them. Had a person come to me one time and he said, Man, I respect you, I love you, and I never want there to be a problem between us. And so I want to tell you about something so that we can work this out so that it's never a problem. How do you think I responded to that? 
I went to a, a member of my family one time and I, and I put my arm around her. I said, I want you to know I respect you and I value your opinion. She told Janie later, she said, my heart melted when he said, I had no idea. He valued me. And then we were able to work out the problem and, and everything was great. So you, you start off with, with what you value about your relationship. And then the second thing is you use I feel statements. When this happens, this is what I feel. And here's, here's a, a suggestion about how we could avoid this conflict in the future. Let me give you some examples. When you look over my shoulder every five minutes, it makes me feel like a child and makes me feel that you don't trust me. What I would prefer is that maybe you allow me to do the job the way I feel is best, and then we can talk about results. See the difference? Or, Mom, when you make cutting remarks about my husband, it ticks me off. No, you don't say that. I feel angry and defensive. And so we're never going to resolve the problem. What I would prefer is that you deal with your issues in a way that builds up my relationship with my husband, not tears it down. See the difference? Because we don't do that very often, do we? And that's why our relationships get more complicated. So, the first step is you go directly to the person. Second step is you be humble and you seek to reconcile. The purpose of confrontation is not to get everything off your mind. The purpose of confrontation, according to God's Word, is reconciliation. If I go and my whole purpose is to make sure I walk out of that room and your and my relationship is stronger and I communicate that to you, we will have a deeper relationship. If, however, I come and you feel attacked, that didn't do anything. All right, step three is keep investing whatever it takes to make the relationship better. Keep investing whatever it takes. Hebrews 12:14 says, work at getting along with each other. That first word is a four-letter word, isn't it? Some people act like work is something that's bad. But if you're not willing to work at a relationship, for goodness sake, don't get married. There is no harder relationship in the world than marriage. And he's going to have to work his relationship out later this afternoon. <laughs> I know that's right. I'm, I'm serious, though. One of the things I read years ago, and it stuck with me, said the first key to marriage is work. The second key to marriage is work. The third key to marriage is work. You get the idea. There is nothing easy about it. If you are insane before you get married, you will be more insane after you're married. If the other person is psychotic, I mean, it intensifies whatever your flaws already are. So maybe get healthy beforehand, but that, again, that's another thing. The key is work. And, and here's the deal. Don't count on it being a one-shot deal. Don't go in and say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And then, but then act like you're never ever, I forgive you, but I ain't ever spending any time with you again. That doesn't work. That makes us look like children. And actually, no, it doesn't. We're worse than children because you can see a kid that's ticked off and the next day they're best friends again. We just decided to get over it. Why? Because they'd rather play and have fun with that person than worry about the past. But we get stuck in the past. And, and what will happen is if we'll start living like this, people will notice because it's not natural. Normal people do not live like this. It has to be supernatural. And so who gets the glory? God does. It's almost as if He designed it that way. He did. 
Then step four is commit to being in community. Okay, this... A lot of people will leave a church, they'll leave a marriage, they'll leave a job to get away from conflict. And you know what happens? It goes with you. The conflict is everywhere. So running away is not the answer. Um, finding a new church, it's just a matter of time till somebody's going to be in conflict with you. Either that or you not being known. <laughs> um, I just can't... You can't run away. The point is not to finish up with this semi-resolved. Yeah, I forgive you, but I'll never trust you again. I'll forgive you, but I'll never step foot in your house again. I'll never sit on the same... I've been in churches where related people sit on the opposite sides of the church and they never speak to each other. Something is wrong with that picture. So, the Bible defines love for us in 1 Corinthians 13.5 and it says, Love does not keep a record of wrongs. Uh, This is hard. Because in my family... We had lists of everything you'd ever done. And if you hurt me bad enough, then I would bring up something that you did to me. Well, yeah, maybe you did that, but uh, I did this, but you did that. And, and it became a competition to see who had hurt each other the worst. That's just immaturity. And it's a miserable way to live. So what we've got to do, if we're going to simplify relationships, we've got to learn to read the signs others are sending us, we have to set boundaries, and we've got to work through conflict. Do those three things, and, and I, I guarantee you, you will be on your way to resolving and simplifying relationships. But here's the deal. Last thing. Remember this. God calls us to confront the problem and reconcile the people. Do you hear the difference? Confront the problem, reconcile the people. I don't get to confront people. I have to go and talk to them about the problem that I have with the simple goal of strengthening our relationship. There are people in this church that I've been friends with for 12 years now. And every one of them I've had some type of conflict with. And if we had not worked that out, I guarantee you we wouldn't be friends today. A couple of them I see back there right now. They're, they're some of my closest friends. But the reason we got close is because we refused to let problems separate us. Our relationship is more important, more valuable than the conflict. So we work through it. Take your registration cards if you would.